I'm Alexandra Joe, Director of Outreach and Education at Partingstone, and this is the Death Care Decoded podcast. In this podcast, we explore trends in the death profession, uncovering valuable insights through conversations with industry thought leaders. Our mission is to bring forward thinking education to death care professionals. This week, I return to my conversation with Glenda Stansbury, VP of Insight Books, co-founder and dean of the Insight Institute Certified Celebrant Program, adjunct professor in the University of Central Oklahoma's Funeral Department, and licensed funeral director and embalmer. This week, we talk about the current trajectory that the funeral profession is on, some of the biggest hurdles to recruiting and retaining the next generation of death care employees, and how funeral professionals today can have a hand in shaping and directing the future of death care. You're jumping into a conversation with myself and Glenda Stansbury. I would be very interested to hear where you think the industry actually is going. You know, we can talk about these risks and this is going to happen. What do you think actually, I'm just curious personally, like what do you, what do you think actually is the trajectory that we're on right now? I think, I think two things. Uh, I think that the alternative methods of disposition are going to grow. I think green burial ha- is is going mm-hmm. to grow, and the traditional professional response is right now is the same response that we had back in the seventies to cremation. Mm-hmm. It's a fad; it will go away, mm-hmm. and that didn't work out very well for us the first time. And I don't think it will work out very well for us this time if nope. we choose to ignore it. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, yeah, I think that the, the green movement or the alternative disposition movement is going to explode in the next 10 years. Personally, selfishly, I hope that celebrants are a very normal part of where we're going. Mm-hmm. I think we will probably see, I, you know, I, I don't deal in percentages and numbers very well, but I think we will see a large percentage of the smaller firms either close or consolidate or be bought. Mm-hmm. I think the consolidators are going to have a heyday in mm-hmm. the next 10 years, mm-hmm. um, which is not bad or good on the surface. It's just right. the reality of we've got an entire generation of people my age mm-hmm. in their 60s facing 70 with nobody to take it over. Mm-hmm. Right. Their kids mm-hmm. looked at, the, at their parents and said, I don't want to live nope. like that. I don't want to be 24 seven. I don't want to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you've got a a whole generation of directors who built this up generationally, you know, their daddy started or, you know, whatever, uh, who have nobody to turn it over to, uh, you know, as a, as a funeral service instructor, I teach at two, two mortuary schools. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I, I have, I have last semester, I had 300 students in all of my classes Mm -hmm. and, Maybe 10 of those are generational. Yep. You know, these That's are all kind of shocking, actually. Actually, yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So these are all new to the profession or second career or, you know, all kinds of different options for why people are getting in the biz, but they're not. My daddy wants me to take over the funeral home. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I started back in 2008, is when I started teaching at the university. <clears throat> over half of my kids were generation. You know, mm-hmm. they, they knew where they were going. They were going to take over the biz. Uh, so I think we're going to see a real switch in independent versus corporate. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and that a lot of those rooftops will be closed. Um, and there's some sadness to that because there's some beauty about the local yes. undertaker that's been in the community forever and everybody knows their name and, you know, and, and I believe yes. in them and I cheer for them and I work hard for them, mm-hmm. but there's just some scale pieces that, or, or bodies. I mean, there's just not enough people who want to come in and take on the, the, the financial and the time commitment to own a business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that's going to be a huge shift in how we even see what funeral directors do. Mm-hmm. I think we'll see much more specialization because in the corporate entities, you know, you've got an embalming center and you've mm-hmm. got family service counselors and you've got the people who sell the, the cemetery plots. So you're going to see a little bit more stretching out and um, specialization, mm-hmm. um, which again, that's neither good nor bad. It's just reality. It's reality for us as funeral professionals, right. as funeral instructors, because, you know, here we are teaching them how to do everything. Mm-hmm. And then they go work for a company that only wants them to be an arranger. Mm-hmm. And so they have spent a whole lot of time and a whole lot of money going through school, learning how to prep bodies and do all the backroom stuff. Mm-hmm. And they, and then they never do it. So even funeral service education is having to face, do we teach them to be generalists or do we teach them to be specialists? Yeah. Uh, so I think we will see a lot more of people who are, specifically designed to be an arranger or specifically designed to be a backroom person or whatever. And that's, again, that could be good. I mean, if we've got people who are truly specifically um, equipped with Mm -hmm. that information and know how to do it, um, then that can be helpful. Right. And if it, if it doesn't impact the way families are being served, you know, that's, that's what I'm thinking about. As long as this doesn't, you know, change or harm or impact the way that families are having experiences. And as long as yes. that's continuing to improve and those needs that are evolving are continuing to be met. Yeah. That's- yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and I think, I think that a lot of, you know, a lot of communities are going to have to look differently at, um, do we have funeral professionals who are serving our diverse population? Mm-hmm. Uh, racially, ethnically, uh, sexual orientation, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm, all of those mm -hmm. pieces. Uh, I'm not saying that we need a, you know, that we need a specifically black or specifically Hispanic or specifically gay funeral home, but we need a lot more emphasis in training and a lot more Mm -hmm. emphasis in the community on are we all things to all people, uh, are we learning how to do that? Are we I- improving our skills mm-hmm. to know how to really serve all of those, all of the families who are walking in the door? Because the yeah. days of, you know, the funeral home, you know, in New York, you could go to, to six different funeral homes and one was the Irish and one was the Polish and one was the, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it was, it was mm-hmm. all very isolated and specific and those days are going away those Mm -hmm. days of you know in my community there you know there used to be one funeral home where all the catholics went Uh, you know they Mm -hmm. were known as the catholic funeral home um 
and I, I told that funeral director 20 years ago, I said, if you're just going to rely on the Catholic community, you got a problem, you know, because mm-hmm. the Catholic, uh, <clears throat> Catholic attendance is going down precipitously. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think not hanging our hat on who I always have been and who my identity is in the community mm-hmm. and learning how to be much more available and knowledgeable mm-hmm. uh, may, will make a huge difference. Yeah, I I agree on, on multiple levels and have this kind of opens up, you know, things that I think about all the time, like mm-hmm. the importance of, so you mentioned um, the mortuary school classes being yes. less and less and less generational and more people coming in from the outside for different reasons. And yes. this kind of points back to a conversation I just had with Courtney Gold Miller of MKJ Marketing. Mm-hmm. She was mm-hmm. talking about like, we don't have enough people being trained to be funeral directors to fill the spots mm-hmm. and take over the businesses and handle the bodies that are dying. Death rates in America are continuing to go up for X, Y, Z reasons, pandemics, uh, yes. increased suicide, opioid epidemics, right. lack of health care, yes. lack of mental health support, whatever it is, right. lack of paying wage jobs. We have data about all of those things. And we aren't, as a profession, out in the world telling people what it is we actually do, changing perspectives around who we are and what we offer to attract more people to become morticians and funeral directors and funeral homeowners. Like that is a step number one, Mm -hmm. because it doesn't matter if we go specialization or general or whatever it is in the programs, if no one's in them, you know, and especially if we're seeing fewer and fewer generational funnels, Yes. Right. We we are going to have to get very creative about how we advertise ourselves. And so that was very easily a marketing conversation, not just how you market your business, but how do we market the profession to the wider world? And that raises greater questions about the state of people's comfortability talking about death in general. Mm hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. so the concepts of death cafes or, you know, all those pieces and, and, and normalizing that conversation mm-hmm. and changing the vision. You know, the very first assignment that I give my students in my contemporary issues class is I want you to go out and I want you to interview five people that are not in this program. Go interview your friends or your, you know, whoever mm-hmm. and ask them when I say funeral director, what do you think? Mm-hmm. And. of them come back with guy in a a black suit who never smiles. You know, I mean, that old stereotype of the undertaker, you know, who never Mm -hmm. smiled and, 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 you know, looked like Lurch in a, in a, in a suit Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) is still out there among everybody. Right. Yes. And we haven't done a whole lot of changing that concept and, and anybody who's been around the business, you know, the, the generational kids are not coming because they've seen dad work 24-7 and, and never had a holiday and never had anything else because funeral homes historically don't know how to staff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so everybody has to work too much. But, yeah, you don't have funeral directors going out to high school job fairs and say, come join us. We're a lot of fun. We do dead people. Uh, (laughs) And even if you do, how are they presenting that? You know, is it a very like buttoned up, stern, strict, or is it 
reaching a younger population with, we have advanced technology. We have an open mind about what a service is. We offer options. We are a fun community to be a part of, you know, this is important, meaningful work that you're doing. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I think that all of that points to that kind of future of the profession and those questions. And and we're, of course, and we're still dealing with the, the owners that have the pretty traditional approach to service. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting with students in my classes with purple hair and multiple tats and a whole bunch of of piercings. Mm -hmm. And they're telling those kids, I'm not hiring you. You don't fit my stereotype of what a funeral professional should look like. I'm not hiring you. And so, and so we, the only way we break out of that is to let funeral professionals look like their community. Mm. And their community yes. looks. Oh my gosh! Their community looks more like tats and piercings and purple hair than black suits. Yes, I mean you can show your tats off, but it's a, <laughs> it's a podcast, so you can't do that. Um, so, so there's you know there's automatically some barriers there that are even stopping the students who have committed to being in the program and are going yes. through the the, the work to become professionals. And then, you know, then, then they're told not by everybody, but there's still a large majority of people out there who are saying, "Mm -mm, not in Mm -hmm. my place. You're not going to look like that in my place. I mean, and we're still trying to overcome the barriers of hiring a gay funeral director, you know, I mean, (laughs) so (laughs) (laughs) I'm, um, So we have to change some real barriers, even as we're attracting students to come in. And then, you know, the latest stats are telling us that after five years, 50% of our kids are leaving their profession. Yes. Okay. I've seen those stats. Yep. Burnout. Let's let's figure that out. Right. Let's, you know, Mm -hmm. let's understand some of these kids have put in two years or four years in my state. It's a, it's a bachelor's level you know, degree, mm-hmm. uh, they've put in four years to get this degree and they're gone in five. We need to have that conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. I mean, I've written some articles about employee retention in the great resignation that we're seeing yes. right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One for Southern Funeral Director Magazine back in January and then another mm-hmm. recently for um, The Leader and MKJ. And I mean, the profession is also behind just on what they offer employees as well, as far oh, as like yeah. parental leave, benefits yes. packages, stock yes. options, if that's a thing in your company, or yeah. vac- paid vacation that you don't have to work for two years before you start accruing it. Yes. I attended a, a session at ICCFA that was given by someone from Batesville talking about how to recruit and retain employees. And like, I knew death care was a little behind because, you know, we do have to Mm -hmm. be on call and the schedules are bad. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. what this person from Batesville was saying had my jaw on the floor about like, it's typical for a a funeral home to make an employee work for two full years before they start accruing benefits. That's crazy. I had, I just, the, the service that I did this morning was with one of my former students that, you know, the joy of my work is that I've got students at almost every funeral home in the, in the city. So <laughs> I get to work with them. And so that's fun. Uh, and this was, this was one of those young women who, when she came into my class, I thought, mm, 
she's good. She's going to be great. I mean, I knew from the get go, sometimes you really have a feeling, you know, when they're coming in that they're going to be good. And she went to work for a, a, a funeral home in her hometown as an apprentice and then stayed on after she got licensed. She has worked for him for five, eight years and now she's working for a different firm. And so when I first saw her a couple of weeks ago, I said, I, I can't believe that you left there. I thought you'd be there forever. She said, well, for eight years, I've never had benefits. And he's worked me 35 hours a week so that I couldn't get benefits. Oh and my he's God. And he's paid me $30,000. Okay. She's. I'm, <laughs> I know. I'm like in shock. A long silence of I don't usually get so shocked. I don't speak because I'm a talker, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's yeah. insane. It- insane and and then and then people in the profession go we can't find anybody work well no you can't i could go flip burgers for that much guys you literally can actually though yes yes like, you really can i mean i'm not being hyperbolic <laughs> hyperbolic no, about that, you, right yeah and i could i mean i can go to my local on queue which is a 7-eleven kind of thing that it takes over has taken over our city I can get fully paid benefits and intuition reimbursement working at, at, at a 7-Eleven, right? Gosh. So, so part of this is we have to change the culture around what we expect our, our people to do, but mm-hmm. we also have to change the culture. It, it is that old time, well, I had to do it, so you got to do it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yes. I walk, you know, it's the eight miles barefoot uphill in the snow. Uh Uh (laughs) Well, you know, I had to live over the funeral home and I never could go out because I had to be on call and we didn't have pagers and we didn't have cell phones and I had to be there to answer the door and answer the phone. And well, good, you know, good for you. I'm sorry that 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 was your growing up experience, but we're not there anymore. No. And so we have a whole lot of because I had to, then you do, too. And then we just have a lot of really bad staffing and bad yeah. management. Um, yeah. Part in part of this, and we've had this conversation many times uh, in the profession. You know, I mean, I've I've been involved in mortuary science uh, education for over ten years. Mm-hmm. We teach them, we teach them how to sell caskets, and we teach them how to embalm, and we teach them how to be compassionate listeners. I mean, I teach all the soft skills, the, you know, the psych of grief and those kind of stuff. We teach them how to do accounting and that kind of stuff. We don't teach them how to run a business Mm -hmm. and how to manage people. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. really not part of the curriculum. Uh, We call it funeral home management, but it's basically, and this is how you price caskets and this is how you set up, you know, a showroom and this is how you set things up. So we never have really emphasized how to be that manager, how to be an owner. Right. And if you don't have, and, and so you're either relying on what grandpa and daddy taught you or you're just winging it. And in, then in five years, your employees are leaving. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So from yeah, that has nothing absolutely. has nothing to do with celebrants, but it has a whole lot to do with <laughs> what our what our profession is going to look like. It, it, because yes, I really do have a different kind of perspective uh, for mm-hmm. which I'm eternally grateful that not only have I been so 
fortunate to train celebrants and to get the word out about that, and, mm-hmm. but also to be involved in, in funeral service education mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. see what our future looks like and know what I'm hearing from my students who leave. I mean, I literally say to them, I'm going to give you all kinds of ideas and information and you're going to be really enthusiastic and you're going to go out and your boss is going to say, not in my place. (laughs) So put it in your back pocket, put it in your back pocket, remember it. So when you have some autonomy and you have some freedom, then you can pull these new ideas or these innovative ideas or things that you can do out. Mm-hmm. But probably you're going to walk in and they're going to say, uh, you know, go mow the grass and and, and, <laughs> and do the trash. So, yeah, I, Courtney's exactly right. We don't have enough people and the people that we're graduating are not staying. Mm-hmm. And so we ha- that's a hard, long look. I, I know I just talked to one of the executive directors that just was at the NFBA leadership you know, executive mm-hmm. director mm-hmm. meeting. And he said they spent most of their time talking about. How do we bring people in? How do we get out and do the job fairs and, and, and encourage people to come? Mm-hmm. But then how do we keep them? Right. Because we right. we do not we do not have enough people to replace old timers like me who are getting ready to retire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For and sure. and I think that it actually does tie back into the celebrant conversation because it's about letting go of just doing things the way you've always done them. It's yes, going back yeah. to like Rolodex pastor, you know, yes, yeah, because yeah. that's what you've always done and being afraid of yes. offending someone or afraid of mm-hmm. moving away from what's traditional. I mean, it's the yes. same, it's two sides of the, a very multifaceted conversation that has the same core, which Absolutely. is, you know, who we're serving now and in the future, how to do that best and how to actually like make change happen, you know? Yes. So, yeah. And, yeah. And, and change Change has never been, um, you know, funeral service will never be accused of being on the cutting edge of anything. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there is some joy in watching, you know, at state and national groups and, and those kind of things where people are at least beginning to have the conversation. And, mm-hmm. and I think COVID probably woke a whole lot of people up. Mm-hmm. You know, COVID gave gave us some amazing incredible challenges but it mm-hmm. gave us some gifts mm-hmm. um those people who had always said i'll never live stream a service nobody mm-hmm. wants to see it mm-hmm. those people who said people have to come in and see my caskets and touch mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. people who said families have to come in and sign things you know and and they have yep. to be in my presence to have a, have an arrangement I think that if nothing else, it kickstarted a lot of other conversations and other decisions. And it also forced people to talk differently about what a service could look like mm-hmm. and what a delayed service can feel like and why it's still beneficial to come back. I think they had to dig deep into actually articulating value. And actually providing those opportunities because, as we all know, so many people had to walk out the door during COVID. And either you're going to be that guide and that wisdom and that that expertise to say, this is why you should come back. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, you lost another service. So COVID pushed some things that probably I wouldn't expect to be as far down the road as we are. Uh, simply because, you know, 
the guy that still has to fax everything had to figure out how to have, have an email. <laughs> yep. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I, and in no way is COVID a good thing, but all no. of those changes are good things. You know, yes. it's a shame it yes. took a pandemic to get us there, but yeah. also it's, it's good that we're there now. And, and it's very hopeful. It's a very hopeful time looking at things I, like technology, yes. remote arrangements, different yes. services, things like that. I am, I am much more hopeful that some of those really did make an impact mm-hmm. on business practices and on attitudes and on, um, yes, we can do things differently. I mean, personally, I was incredibly busy during the the extreme lockdown mm-hmm. because churches were closed. Pastors weren't coming out. Uh, I did over 250 services during lockdown. And, and part of that was the funeral directors who, who refer people to me a lot knew I could handle a Zoom family meeting, knew I could mm-hmm. handle a Zoom service, knew I could handle 10 people in the room and 200 people out listening to it on the radio. Yep. You know, cause, so they were looking for those professionals and officiants who had the knowledge and the flexibility to do things differently. Mm-hmm. And, and I think some of them really learned some valuable lessons in that, yeah. hopefully. 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 Yes. No, I mean, I, I would take back those 2 million people tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It, you know, no, no life is worth a lesson that we learn, but um, if it makes us better and if it makes us more aware and more open to change, open to, yeah, things need to be different then you know, then, then some benefit came out of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, and so here we are. are. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I know that you do a lot of stuff. So I really appreciate you taking the time to have these conversations that we can share with people. I I am, I'm really thrilled. I can't wait to hear. Here's a thank you note from one of Parting Stone's happy families. I wanted to take this opportunity to let you know how beautiful the stones are that were made from my husband's ashes. I love how they look and feel. It is so special having a part of him with me at all times. Gracefully, Cindy.